the first thing is be of service to your local community. That really, you know, start small. You know, we were like grassroots, bootstrap that thing, you know, show proof of concept and then start solving problems. Because if you, if you just take one problem off at a time, that's how you're going to find financial reward if being an entrepreneur is a goal. Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors, where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, Brace for Impact. On this episode of the Impact Entrepreneur Show, I introduce you to Dr. Kelly Starrett, DPT, the author of the New York Times bestseller, Becoming a Supple Leopard, which has revolutionized how coaches, athletes, and everyday humans and you entrepreneurs approach movement and athletic performance. Dr. Starrett is a co-founder of the San Francisco CrossFit and MobilityWad.com, where he shares his innovative approach to movement, mechanics, and mobility with coaches and athletes. He travels around the world teaching his widely popular movement and mobility course and works with elite Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard forces, athletes from the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and the Major League Baseball, and national and world-ranked strength and power athletes, as well as consulting with Olympic teams and universities as a featured speaker at strength and conditioning conferences worldwide. Dr. Starrett's work is not limited to coaches and athletes. His methods apply equally well to children, desk jockeys, and anyone dealing with injury and chronic pain. He believes that every human should know how to move and be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. Bust out your pens and paper. Don't be a podcast junkie. Take some notes and brace for impact. Kelly Storrett, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. The whole focus of our show is spending time having conversations with entrepreneurs who are using their product, their service, their platform to have a tremendously positive, game-changing impact in the lives of others. And you are no doubt an impact entrepreneur. You've impacted my life just through your videos. Uh, and you are helping others lead healthier lives so that they can go impact their their communities, their families. So welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, man. I, I don't know. That's a pretty heavy-duty intro. Look, I, you know, I'm just a strength coach. I just, you know, we made some videos. That's all we did. And wrote a few books, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always start out with kind of a fun question, but it, it, it has some intention behind it. Uh, and that question is, if you could pick any superpower... What would it be and how would you use it? That's part one. And part two is how can entrepreneurs apply the essence of that superpower in their daily lives? Well, the first thing that comes to my life is if I didn't have to sleep, I could be like that vampire. My life would be, I could get so much more work done. It would be pretty extraordinary. I just think that, um, 
what what that that means is if if I could choose superpower of not sleeping, um, I'd be like Edward in the uh, the va- those vampire movies, right? Oh. <laughs> you just play learn how to play piano and all these skills. But what it really means is I think as people get into business, as they get into their lives, as they get into families, you know, lack of sleep is really allegory for. I have not organized myself or prioritized the pieces that are going to let me be successful. You know, one of our good friends just passed away from bar, you know, yeah. uh, you barbell, know, shrugged. barbell shrugged. And, um, you know, you, the stress monster is compounded by poor nutrition, bad sleep, you know, and you're going to have to deal with that. You know, you, People always love to point out, you know, when we talk about this, you know, like, well, Bill Clinton only slept four hours a night. And I'm like, and he had a heart attack and died. And we brought him back with drugs. So what was your point again? Yeah, right. And, you know, this really, you know, tracks up and down because the problem is we can outwork everyone else, you know. And and we really, we've, we've built this ethos for a long time that, you know, we're proud of how hard we can work. And my wife and I, you know, Juliet is my business partner in all aspects of this. Um, you know, she's an attorney. She's a two-time world champion. She, um, she had thyroid cancer when she was 20. You know, she's a, she was a rower. So, I mean, that all for me, you know, aggregates into creating a person who we have, what we call has a high work pain threshold. Like that girl can work and work and work and work and outwork everyone. And for a long time, I think we really held it as a badge of honor that as long as I outwork everyone, it's going to be okay. And what we've called, called that now in strength and conditioning is plausible deniability. So as an athlete, if I run in to an event and I get injured on the prior, right, or I, I, I can always at least point back to the fact that, well, I, uh, look how hard I worked. So, you know, this injury is not my fault. I worked hard. Instead of saying, hey, you know, I didn't, I didn't do the things that allowed me to work this hard or go this fast. And... I denied aspects of my human physiology and my emotional health that, that support the long game. You know, I'm like, great. You peaked for like two months. Now you're burnt out piece of crap. You know, yeah. like, like, you know, and I'm, t- I'm not talking about sports. I'm talking about you as a business person, as a family person, like you're not good to anyone. And, and I think, uh, you know, this is a small detail that I'm sure everyone can relate to is when people are like, how you going? You know, how's work? I'm like, we have a lot of work. I never say I'm busy because I think saying you're busy is saying like, I don't have my act together. I don't mind my calendar. I don't set guidelines, right? I don't say no, you know, and, and it doesn't mean that there aren't periods where you're going to have to decide about, hey, I trained three times this week. That's going to be good enough. Today, I walked and I mobilized and that was my physical practice. Yeah. You can't, you can't, literally can't do it everything. And, you know, it's interesting. My, uh, my mother-in-law once said, she's like, hey, you know, you guys are writing this book. And you're going to, like, do these other things. And she's like, you know, that's not how it works. Like, you're going to have to choose some things that you are going to do and not do. And, and she was, you know, I was first defensive, like, whatever. You know, you're old. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you were like, we're young. We have the internet and, uh, and bulletproof coffee. And um, but she was really right that, you know, my wife and I had to make decisions about, you know, our training quality or the number of relationships we could manage as adults, you know, mm-hmm. like we just didn't have time for friends. Mm-hmm. We only have a few friends and, and we had to kind of choose the things that were going to be important to us because what you what we know is that you can literally vapor lock and fall out of the sky. Yeah. Like you will crash and burn. Yeah. So the goal is to set up processes and plans that allow you to be consistent for a long stinking time. And that is the goal Yeah. is, you know, you know, we have now, you know, this gym as, as the, the, you know, the keystone for our brick and mortar, you know, idea and concept or ecosystem, 
We've been doing this for 12 years. And, you know, there's no substitute for being in one place for a long time doing the same thing, being consistent, not being a flash in the pan. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, everyone can show up for one day. There's a, here's a good example. Um, you know, I love, there's a couple of events I think off the top of my head. There's a great outrigger race which is basically you do the Molokai, which is a 50K open ocean race, but you do like three of those in a row. And so, because everyone's good, like I can, I can suffer for one day, but I'm like, what, what about the next day? You and I go for a run right. today. You know, I, I keep up with you, but tomorrow you're buried, right? And I go out and run again. Like, I'm like, great, you're one day, but show me you can be consistent day after day. Um, you know, CrossFit Games is a good example of that where we see um, – Athletes are good, can put together two or three good workouts, but the consistency and volume, you cannot hide depth and you cannot shortcut the creation of depth in your life, of stability. And that means you just, you have to be as consistent as you can for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, I love what you did there because, you know, you took that superpower question and you basically twisted it, flipped it, and you said, okay, forget the superpower. Here's what people need to do, which is rest. You know, and and be consistent, and listen to their bodies, and be be aware of what's going on in their lives, so that they can continue, you know, on the long term path, which is counter to what we we see every day with you know wanting to make sure that we check off all the boxes and leave nothing undone. So thank you for sharing that. The other question that we we ask. Our, our guests is why they're an entrepreneur. So y- how did you go from professional paddler, I heard you say that on another interview, to CrossFitter, to San Francisco CrossFit uh, founder, to two or three time New York Times bestseller? I mean, like, that's kind of crazy. So was there an impact moment or a series of moments that kind of launched you on the trajectory that you're on? This is what I'll say. I started my first business when I was 10. Okay. <laughs> you know? Wow. And, um, and I've always, there, I went through a phase where I worked for someone else, you know, and, um, you know, I was a teacher, I taught kayaking, you know, I was a, a raft guide. And, um, but before that, I had a lot of businesses, you know, I literally, I, I cleaned bikes, I mowed lawns, uh, you know I mean? I, and what's interesting is that maybe I, I got a little bit hooked on the autonomy of, you know, I say when, I say who, I say how much, I say yeah. when, you know, it's a little pretty woman quote out there for you. <laughs> and, um, but I think, um, you know, the mistake now is that people see um, success or they see businesses and they, and those things are, are products of incremental progress. And the issue is that, you know, you, people, hey, I want to be there. And what you can't see is the billions of steps. And it's, it's interesting for me. I get to work in a lot of different sports. And I'm very fortunate that I get to touch some of the best thinkers, athletes, you know, processes on the planet. And uh, let's, let's use our friend Laird Hamilton as an example, right? Laird takes off on a huge bomb wave. And uh, you're like, that's crazy. World-class surfer yeah, for those of you like who don't the best. know. And, um, and 50, you know, and now really at the peak of his powers, right? He's, he's been that good for so long and he keeps his body in check. So you know, the number of waves he's seen is insane. His wave selection, you know, all he has to do is manage his body and he's going to continue to be one of the best surfers on the planet forever. You know, the young guys are going to have to work hard. But you can't see the billions of waves that, you know, where he progressed and made errors and progressed and made errors. And 
What I would say is, you know, we never set out to do any of this. We set out to solve a problem, one problem at a time. And the example is, you know, I discovered CrossFit um, my first year at physio school. And I was like, man, this is, this is one of the most organic, holistic approaches to training I've ever seen. You know, and I was, I was Olympic lifting with Jim Schmitz. I was following Dan John. I had, you know, had been on Pavel's program for ages, but I, I was missing big holes. And it really, it really kind of, it, it taught me that I had to up my strength conditioning game. And I was, remember, I was a national champion. I thought I was the man, but yeah. it turns out I was not. I was not skilled. I was not strong. I was not fit. And, you know, in physio school, literally, it seemed to me that I needed to open a CrossFit. And there were only like five CrossFits when I found a Cross, found CrossFit on the internet. So just not many. It was just, wow. it was nascent. Um, it wasn't this thing for sure. Right. And, um, you know, we definitely caught lightning in a bottle. You know, we're the 27th CrossFit. We've been doing this for a long time. But, you know, I took one of my, my private student, I took a private student loan from grad school and I, fa- and I f- funded my gym. And they, I went into the, you know, financial advisor office and they were like, oh, I see you're taking a private student loan out for the first time. And I was like, yeah, my, w- my wife and I need a little extra money, you know, <laughs> you know and I, then I went out and bought rowers and barbells, you know, <laughs> nice. and, uh, um, you know, a calculated risk. <laughs> right, right. It wasn't totally calculated risk. No one, no one knew this. They, yeah. didn't, they didn't know what this was, you yeah. know, like deadlifting was heresy you right, know, right. over at squat. You're crazy. And what ended up happening then was, you know, we saw that this would be a great place for our friends to train. And, and it was for us. And I might pick up some skills that made me a better physio mm. when I had to graduate mm. eventually. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then we started solving a problem. We started seeing the way people moved. And, you know, and I think it's just, it's been stepwise. You know, I don't think you, I don't think you set out and be like, I'm going to write a book. Like there's something you're thinking about so long and done so much integration thinking that eventually the only thing you can do is write a book. And let me quote my good friend, Greg Cook. He's a great physio uh, inventor of the F- co-inventor of the FMS system. And, you know, someone asked him a long time ago, they're like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about writing a book. Like, what do I need to do? And he was like, well, I wrote my first book as a single dad on the dryer, like the washing machine and dryer. I write it at one in the morning while my kids slept while I worked another job. And, uh, you know, it seems to me that if you already haven't started writing your book, you're basically lying to yourself that Mm. you're never, you know, it's never going to happen. So, you know, one of my good friends, I was talking about a process and I was like, can you believe this? I mean, it's just crazy where we, the things we're doing. And he's like, Kelly, when I met you to now, I can draw a straight line of like trajectory. Like you were like, I'm going to physio school. And it's just like, it seems like it but it's not how it feels. It feels like regression and back and forth. And, right. you know, if we amortize that line and flatten right. it, it looks like a smooth line, but that is not how it feels. So I'm right. doing circles, I'm backtracking. So what I can say is, you know, to our friends now, especially in the fitness and strength conditioning space, it's a crowded, crowded space. And people are, you know, suddenly we're fighting, you know, from a biz, just pure business. I'm competing against Orange Theory and I'm competing against, you know, Soul Cycle and the 27,000 paleo books. And, you know, the entire space is really crowded for attention. I mean, and I think we can go out and look for metaphor even in the music business. I mean, Coldplay put out an album, right? Mm-hmm. Name one of the songs. You can't. I can't. Right. How about you 2 Sing one of the new songs from the U2 album they gave away for free. That's U2 and Coldplay. And they might not be your cup of tea because yeah. you're elite, bougie, you know, <laughs> music guy. But... There's two powerhouse. Give me a Jack Johnson song. There you go. But there's two powerhouse, huge, you know, titans of industry and music. And their music is like a blip on the radar. Right. Which means that in order to be taken seriously, you know, 
the first thing is be of service to your local community. Not really, you know, start small. You know, we were like grassroots, bootstrap that thing, you know, show proof of concept and then start solving problems. Because if you, if you just take one problem off at a time, that's how you're going to find financial reward. Yeah. If being an entrepreneur is a goal. Right. But you know, my, um, you know, I know people who like will get on a bus and they'll from San Francisco to Austin. And you know, it's like a, it's like an incubator bus where they come up with an idea and then build a business around the idea. And I'm like, that for me is like, let's have 17 carts and we'll build these roads. And we're like, what is going to pull the cart, <laughs> you know, and what are we going to put in the carts? You yeah, know, yeah. like it's, it, it's sort of backwards in the thinking versus, Hey, solve a problem, become competent, develop some skills and experience. Right. And then by the way, there's a tidy business out of that. And if we're talking about CrossFit, that's what Gary Glassman did. He coached for how many years until he had a system that was codified and look at any of my friends who are, are doing what they're doing in the world of, of performance or strength conditioning or, or entrepreneurship, you know, and what I can show you is these little stepwise, you know, you know, moments where they're progressing and developing and then being useful. Yeah. So be useful. Don't set up a business. Be useful. Yeah. You, you just kind of said three things that I am constantly hammering home to my listeners. And the first is, chase impact and the money will follow, okay? Constantly provide value and seek to solve a problem and be other-oriented, as another one of my guests said, and, and the solutions and, and the money will follow. The second thing is that when you have passion and you see an opportunity, even if you don't possess the skill set, you can go get the skill set. Just take advantage of that, of your passion and your opportunity and go develop the skill set, which you've done and, and continue to do. And, and you're a learner as you're doing too. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's, I mean, you don't, you know, let me know when you're fit enough. Let me know when you're strong enough. Let me know when you're skilled enough. Right. You know, as an athlete, you never arrive. Right. It's a process. And I think the same thing happens with, with business. The, you know, it's interesting in strength and conditioning, we live in California in, in the Bay Area and there is a lot of really interesting business and innovative people and really disruptive business models of people just continuing to solve problems and think differently. But where is that in strength and conditioning or fitness? Like right. it's, it's like people are the best intentions, amazing, amazing coaches, but don't have, like can't answer an email, right. you know, can't run a calendar. And so at some point, you know, there are some foundational pieces there about being a professional you know, and, and I think it's easy. Like, we'd all love to say, yeah, you don't need to go to college. You just need an internet and, you know, develop an app. And I'm like, developing a fart app is not a <laughs> business. Like, you're, you're just selling stuff to people, you yeah. know, and that's, that's fine. But solve, solve, a, solve a problem and get some skills. Be a professional all around it. And it's amazing what happens when you are consistent, when you answer people's emails, when you do what you say you're going to do. And then you also do it for a long time. Right. You know, it, you, that really is a a really boring recipe for making delicious cake. But one of the ways that entrepreneurs and, and perhaps even yourself learn this is through kind of mentorship relationships. And that's something that's been incredibly powerful to me as a businessman, as uh, someone who's working on constantly improving his physical fitness. Can you share a story with us about an, an, a mentor you've had in your life who's maybe shaped your outlook? Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting. I, I always wish that I had a mentor and I, I didn't, but I did have um, people who were well ahead of me who um, could point away. 
and 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 lead by example. So let me give you an example. Um, when I was um, before I went to physio school, I was the general manager of a big sports store here in San Francisco called the Sports Basement, and I did that eighty thousand square foot store, big you know big sporting goods store. But they one of the things that they did was really interesting at the store is that they they saw selling stuff to people as secondary to the mission of the store, which was to create a space that everyone could use. So it was a meeting space, like triathlons started there, you know, there was Weight Watchers groups. And literally they came up with every correlative use of the space besides selling something you could, could. And then they made everything themselves. They were like, we don't need fancy racks. We'll build our own racks. And when we opened this gym a long time ago, you know, people forgotten. You couldn't, and I've said this before, you can't, you couldn't just buy rings. Like you could go Andy Anderson Spleeth rings that were like $180 a ring. Yeah. But like my first set of rings were these um, fishing net nylon rings that I found <laughs> from a commercial fishing supply by searching, search, searching the interweb and cam straps from my kayaks because I needed 10 sets of rings and I didn't have $800 to spend on rings, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, we welded our own pull-up rack. You couldn't just buy a pull-up rack from Rig, from Rogue. They didn't exist. So we <laughs> welded our own. And, and it may have killed people, but that's besides <laughs> the point. You know, and, um, you know, so the business model of, you know, bootstrapping and, um, and coming up with as many uses and being open to the, seeing the, the gym as a concept was really important. And then, um, this is going to sound like I'm kissing ass, um, but, you know, Early on, I called Mark Ripito just on the phone, and he answered my call. And that blew my mind. And this is, I mean, early, early. This is like, you know, over 10 years ago. And, um, and he was so transparent and generous. And then the founder of CrossFit, I think, is a really great example of being 100% transparent, showing all of the tools and models and giving it away. And we followed that model. You know, I was like, I don't need to reinvent the wheel you know, CrossFit has been putting out programming and lecturing for years. Let me do the same thing. Let me follow those tracks. You know, I went down and was able to, you know, coach with Mike Bergner and um, I would just go work for him. My, my wife and I were critically poor. I was a grad student. We had a baby and I would fly to San Diego for three days just so I could be in the same room as him. And, and he would allow me to like assistant coach, you know, with like five other people that, for these seminars. But I got to be around Mike Bergner 24 hours a day and listen to him. And he t- a, saw it as a mentorship teaching place, as his duty and responsibility to nurture coaches just by bringing them in. And I did anything he asked. You know what I mean? Like, can I, you know, can I move these bars? Can I, you know, and I, and I didn't get paid, but it, the, the responsibility and the generousness was there. And so, you know, what you, there are so many good models out there. I think one is that, you know, I was very fortunate to find some people who did some very innovative things and, and, and I copied and mimicked their models. And then the second thing is, um, you know, we, we hustled and we weren't above like working for free and putting it out there. And um, I think that that's sort of lost there. But, you know, mentorship in terms of business models, those have been important. And then the second thing is, you know, at some point there's no mentor, there are only colleagues and I have so mm. many stinking bright colleagues mm-hmm. who we are constantly nattering. And like, there's no, there's no edge to my professional life, my personal life, my, my interests. Like I'm a nerd 24 seven, you know, right. like I call it Brian McKenzie or I'm talking to, you know, Greg Cook or, you know, Matt Vincent. And what are we talking about? We're talking about, Hey, what's going on? How's your family? Do that. Look, check this out. Do you, you've seen this, you know? And, yeah. and so there's this constant, loop of creativity mm-hmm. 
that doesn't turn off. So mm. the good example is, you know, that the lowest form would be that creativity drill where you write a poem a day for, for a year. Mm. I did that. Poem a, a poem a day? Write a poem a day for a year. Like could a haiku? Be, yeah, could be a haiku, could be a poem, could be, you know, a, a paragraph, a stanza. But I wrote a poem a day for a year. And what ends up happening is that you start making poems in your head all the time. Wow. And you start like composing poems in your consciousness. And then when you time to write the poem down, you just write it down and you get caught in this creativity loop. And the same thing has to happen. I think around your business is that, you know, process begets process. And, and for us, you know, the mentorship is that we all feed each other and draft off each other and push each other and nudge each other. And that really is sustainable. Otherwise, you know, there's this notion that like, you're an island unto yourself. What a bunch of crap that is. Yeah. You know, you exist as a, as a piece of an ecosystem. Right. And if there's no rain coming over there, you know, mm-hmm. you're downstream on the river, mm-hmm. you're going to drown mm-hmm. or, or die of drought. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. Let's let's transition into uh, desk bound, standing up in a sitting world. I think it's a, a a groundbreaking book. It shouldn't have to be, but it is. And and I'd love for those of my listeners who haven't read the book or skimmed it or, or looked at it online, can you tell us what the premise of the book is? You know, I think we're getting better at understanding sort of what the the bones of human physiology and function are. What I mean is like, we're sort of dialing in like, you know, what are the nutritional basics, right? And how much sleep do I need? And what kind of training should I do? And then underlying that, then we can expand that conversation to saying, well, what is the, what's the environmental habitus? What do I, what does the rest of my day look like besides this incredible peak experience? And we came at it again from the fact that most people we were solving a set of problems that we couldn't undo, you know, and um, in just a single session. And we, we were looking around and seeing that, you know, people were sedentary. Um, they were sitting too much. They were being, um, I'm, I'm in a, a Sonos battle right now. I have to keep turning it down. Um, and the issue here is that, um, you know, when we, we saw this as a problem, we came at it from an orthopedic issue. And then we saw this as a bigger cultural phenomenon problem. And when we started thinking about it as applying it towards our daughters, applying it towards, you know, um, the greater world at large, we were lecturing already to universities and businesses and the military about these problems, but we hadn't applied it to social strata. So once again, you know, let me be totally frank. It was not my boyhood dream to lecture adult men about posture. Like what a bunch of crap. I mean, sedentary you know, I just couldn't take that. And that was, that's no one's, no one should be no one's childhood ambition. Yeah. But here's this thing where we have a a language and a conversation and we're able to, um, you know, 
put those things together and make the case for it. And then, you know, that's how Deskbound, this book came out, you know, and then like, like other aspects of our life, you know, we're, we're not, we're users too. I mean, our daughters are at the first all standing school in the world now. Um, we put our money where our mouth Here, is. We have about 30,000 kids in the United States standing now as a result of our, our organization, Stand Up Kids. And you cannot refute the research that, you know, we are fatter than we've ever been before. Diabetes in America is unchecked. There are now more, diabetes in America is up 400% in the last 10 years. There are more obese Americans than non-obese Americans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Childhood obesity is unchecked. We've slowed it down, but we can't even tell that we haven't reversed it. So at some point, we, we, where there's going to have to be an intervention that actually works. And we think that this is one of those interventions that's so simple, i.e., get human beings to be what human beings are and what they're supposed to do, which is move. You know, I th in the book, the, the first two sentences are kind of mind-blowing to me. The human body is incredibly robust. This is a good thing if you have a plan for getting organized. These are how you open up the book. And so it, it kind of like was like, like a, a shot across the bow, and especially that the second part of that sentence, which, which is, if you have a plan to get organized. So tell us some of the consequences of not being organized. Well, it's one of those things where, you know, if you, if you lived in an airport and all that was available to you was airport food, you know, yeah. how healthy would you be? Yeah, not healthy. Not healthy. <laughs> well, you know, we see that, you know, we take for granted some of the environment and the, the impact of the environment on us. And one of the things that we want people to do right away is, you know, to, to, to take this 30,000 foot view and say, hey, what, what is the physiology? What are the epigenetic implications of not moving? And what we see is errors up and down the physiology from pelvic floor dysfunction to clenching your jaw to, you know, changes in your diaphragm function to, you know, shortened hips. I mean, just, you know, insulin insensitivity, choose something that matters to you. You know, you burn less calories when you sit down. And immediately then you can be like, okay, well, I need to move more. So what does that mean? Well, it means immediately you can divide your life into opportunities where you can sit and opportunities where you don't have to sit. And so it becomes optional and non-optional sitting. And non-optional sitting is driving in your car or being in a meeting with your boss. Right. And you're like, excuse me, ma'am, I'm going to stand up. You're like, you know, I don't think so. <laughs> sit your ass down. But there's a lot of choices that we make because the environment is set up and we are basically conforming the physiology of the environment. We're conforming our bodies and ourselves to the environment without realizing that we can manipulate the environment to fit our bodies. And already, if you know, we define, so everyone's clear, sedentary lifestyle and root sedere, right? In Latin means to sit. But, you know, people are listening. They're like, I'm not sedentary. I'm a badass athlete. And it turns out that Harvard defines sedentary lifestyle as sitting more than six hours a day. And we can be more granular. When you sit down, you burn less than one and a half metabolic equivalents. Remember that old stepmaster and it said Mets? How many Mets yeah. am I burning? That's yeah. what that is. It's oh, a metabolic okay. equivalent. And so sitting, you basically are shutting the car down. You're idling sub-idle, right? And it just, you know, you're sipping gas, you're storing energy. And that is not how the body is designed. And you make adaptation errors, like your muscles don't contract your lymphatic system. You get cankles, you get congested tissues, you don't, you don't breathe deeply. So, you know, what ends up happening then is when you suddenly decide that you can change the environment and that you're, you are a sedentary human being, you know, then you can take action. And, and it doesn't, you know, you don't, we often joke around, you don't need a doctor's note to stand. Mm -hmm. Do you get a doctor's note so you can go to the bathroom? No. <laughs> like you need an Amazon book. 
an Amazon box and a phone book for your foot. And now you have an elite standing desk, you know? And so suddenly when you start thinking that way, then you make a whole bunch of different decisions automatically without having to make a bunch of other just choices. So, you know, one of the things that we see, for example, is that, uh, you know, the research around fatigue, around choice, and I just can't make another decision. But one of the things we do in the gym is we try to block movement. This, is, this blocked movement is a concept from our friend Carl Pauly. And he's, he's, like, he's like, look, if you jump and land with your feet together, your knees aren't going to collapse. You're not going to see a valgus knee moment. Your arches don't collapse. So when we have people with poor motor control, don't have the technique, and they're, they're landing with their feet turned out, they're collapsing their arches, knees are coming in, he, said, he just forces them to put their feet together. When they jump and land, and all of a sudden we have a protected position. You don't have to think about it. I just have to say, jump with your feet together, right? And we can do the same thing about blocking the environment. We can create the environment so when I go to work, there's no chair. I'm automatically in a better position, which means... I don't have to think about my position when I'm texting, when I'm working on the keyboard. I'm automatically protected. I don't have to remind myself and distract my primary kind of processor and critical, critical thinking or creative thinking by making a choice about correcting my posture. Why? Because I'm already in a good position. And so what we're trying to do is get people to sort of make the environment, like you and I right now, it, it, we can't really do this standing because it's loud inside. So we're sitting on the floor. And this means that we're already in better positions because we're sitting on the floor. Yes, we're not metabolically active, but we're taking our hips through full range of motion and we're at least obeying the ranges of motion and the, the, the way the tissues are designed. And then you and I are kind of fidgeting, like we're kneeling, we're sitting, we're high kneeling, we're squatting. And what we've done is just immediately programmed a whole bunch of more movement in. And all we did was say, let's not sit in a chair. Hmm. And, that's, and that means that it, it's, a, it's an automatic choice. So my doctoral work was looking at, you know, barriers to adherence. How, why don't people do what they say they're going to do, mm -hmm. right? And it turns out the more steps between you and a decision or you and an action is the least likely you are to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, why do you think when you see an email, people are like, answer the email right away, right? Yeah. Because if you put it off, you're less likely Not to do happen. it. If you clear it and address it right on the spot, it's going to be dealt with. Yeah. The same thing applies to the decisions you're making about your environment. So there's a lot of people right now that are sitting in their car, they're, they're at the gym, they're, uh, they're doing dishes, they're out doing yard work and listening right now to this podcast. What are some things, some cues that they can pay attention to right now as they're listening, because they're, they're going to have a heightened awareness, that they can uh, analyze what they're doing right now to see if they're helping or hindering them, themselves? Well, I, I think that, you know, it would be nice to just say, you know, just stand up more, move more. You know, what, what we need is more non-exercise activity. And people have been calling for that for years. You know, you're just not moving. You're exercising, but then you're just not moving. Our kids, and my wife and I walk our kids to school every day. And then the other thing we do um, is that after dinner, whenever it's nice, we try to, we go for a barefoot mile walk after dinner. Mm. So we walk a mile barefoot. And what we're just tr simply trying to do is just get a little bit more non-exercise activity mm -hmm. in, right? And that can be gardening or shopping, or if you live in New York, you walk places. It's easy that way. But, the, you know, that's the, the broad stroke, and if you, you know, it's a, it's a lot easier not to have the cigarette in your mouth than to deal with learning how to quit cigarettes in the first place. So you have to do less input if you don't sit, right? right? So one of the things that we're advocating for is one is if you do find yourself sitting a lot, you better have a plan to address the, the limitations, mm -hmm. the tissue restrictions. And that's the second half of the book. We really give you prescriptions and simple tools to open up tissues that are stiff, 
to restore normal sliding surfaces, to re- regain function. And, you know, if you if you're travel across the country, you better get to your hotel room and have a plan. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're just going to be a little folded over, you know, bent guy, right. right? Quasimodo. Yeah. I see, you know, Jocko Willink, he's always posting and tagging you on Instagram of, uh, of his hotel trips where he's got like a lacrosse ball and a towel or something, and he's working out his, his workout and his stiffness. That's right. And, you know, and I think that's really the key here is thinking that, hey, look, taking care of my tissues and protecting my positions is not optional, right? And, and you don't have to do it, but you're going to be broken. Yeah. And you're going to, and more importantly, you're going to suck. Yeah. And so, you know, the one piece is, hey, I, okay, I can just remove the noxious stimulus. But the, the thing that's difficult and the thing that we try to do in the book is to say, hey, look, it's okay to talk about skill and function again. Because we take a lot of our movement for granted, and hopefully you're getting some kind of serious strength conditioning programming. You're getting some movement coaching. It means you're in a Pilates class, you're in a CrossFit class, you're in a yoga class, you're training with Pavel, you're training with Dan John, right? You're, you're in the FMS. You're, you're doing something to organize yourself and train, have a formal movement language. But most of us don't. We just see exercise as like a black box, a bucket that I'm going to fill with work. You know, we call that fitnessing. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, you could just be a piece of meat on an exercise bike, you know, and are, if you're a piece of meat on an exercise bike, there's no skill involved with that. You may be cardiovascular fit, but that's like saying, I can boil an egg, I'm a chef, yeah. right? Yeah, And And that's what we want people to do is, is start, start to put a little bit more technique in how they move. And there are some basic general principles about getting your spine organized and creating stable positions and, th- and that's going to take a lifetime of refinement. And it's okay to put the skill back in human movement. You know, the, the model of just do it, eh, that works until you go try to run a marathon and blow out your knee. Yeah. You know, you, you talked about kids earlier. And, and I have kids. I have four kids. A lot of my listeners Holy have crap. kids. Yeah, I know. We're busy. And they're, all, they're, they're 10, 10 and a half to five and a half. And we're really hyper attuned to, you know, making sure they're active and moving. And, and But there is this, this epidemic. And, and so... What can we do if we're not if our kids are not in one of those schools where there's well you you can you can change that. So this is the thing is that I don't think people realize is that you know you can have a one-on-one conversation with your teacher and say, hey, you know, I, I how I've seen this trend. I see that there are working models. Have you you know, take a look at this website. Can we have a conversation about this? Or can yeah. I help flip? So one of the things that we, you know, we for example, we've seen in trying to scale up our kids sitting, you know, project is that we notice that if we try to go after the district, it's too much red tape. And it's yeah. too big a project. It's so expensive. But one classroom at a time is a functional unit. One teacher at a time is a functional unit. And, you know, anyone can convert a single classroom. And it's, it's driven by the teacher. The, the administrator won't care. I mean, the principals don't care. It's the teacher. The teacher's like, hey, I want to go stay in any classroom. And pretty soon, you've got one teacher on board, and then it's a gra- grassroots movement. Mm. So... You know, the other thing you can do is limit the amount of wretched positions your kids are in because they're, you know, have them stand up at the counter and do their homework. Yeah. You know, I think the research is only that kids do about 200 points better on the SAT when they, when they stand up to take it. So, I mean, maybe that's important to you. Mm. You know, maybe it's not. You know, it turns out that kids are about 12% more engaged, which, which ends up being like 48 minutes. It's, it's so insane the amount of small aggregated gains that you get. For example... Kids who stand at school burn an additional between 15 and 25%, upwards of 30% more calories a day. If you're obese, you're going to burn more calories. 
try to take 30% of a kid's calories out of their, of their diet. Good luck with that. You're yeah. going to fight the parents. It's like religion. But if you have a kid just burn 30% more calories a day just because they're cruising around. And the research is showing out of Texas A&M, our, our partner, Mark Benden, you know, in his seminal research, he's shown that he can actually reverse childhood obesity trends. That the research is that kids are spending, are, are gaining about two percentage points on their body mass index every year they sit mm. at school. And what we've seen is in two years, we've actually been able to reverse that trend and kids are down to. So that's a delta of four. Mm. It means you've actually reversed obesity trends in kids. And so suddenly in your own, own world, you're like, like, my kids aren't allowed to sit on the couch. Yeah. They can sit on the floor. They can sit cross-legged on the couch, but they can't sit on the couch, mm. right? And then suddenly you've just made a whole bunch of decisions about your own environment that can make massive long-term impact. But here we are again at this idea of we're not going to see overnight change. There's, you know, our, one of our favorite hashtags is gr- best new artist, right? Breakout artist, best new, you know, and we're like, that person's been on the, the circuit at coffee shops for the last 20 years. Yeah. And they're finally like the new hot new artist. Yeah, right, we're like, yeah. bull, like, yeah. come on, that person is like a pro. Yeah. Right. And I think the same thing, we need to apply that same thinking to you know, what we're doing is that we have to start playing the long game. And that's just do the right thing day after day. And pretty soon it really makes massive change. Right before you published Deskbound, you also released another book called Ready to Run. And I saved this question for, for last uh, as we're winding up here because I was actually secretly hoping that we'd run out of time and I wouldn't have to ask this Ugh, question. Running. Because um, I really don't like running. And, and you know why? Because uh, you suck at it. I suck at it. I really do. And it's not because you. It's I like hurt it's, afterwards. Yeah, which means what? Your technique sucks. It sucks. And and it's you know what we running is the greatest example of of an unskilled movement, right? Let's just set set some conditions. One, the reason I mean the the seminal movement about human beings besides having thumbs is that we run. Like that's what we do. You know, wonder why you have an Achilles. Achilles doesn't work when you you know the only reason you have an Achilles tendon is so you can run. It doesn't, your Achilles tendon doesn't work when you walk. It works when you run. It stores like 17% of your energy. That's free energy back. I mean, we've, wow. we've dissociated our diaphragms from our lower function, lower, lower limb function, so that we can run indefinitely. We're persistence runners, right? I mean, this notion that like, I don't run is like saying, yeah, I'm not a human being. I don't use my hands. <laughs> Are these thumbs there? It's just lame. I don't use thumbs. And, um, you know, the key is that we have looked at running as, as that bucket that we're going to fill with work instead of refining technique. So ask any kindergartner, do they hate running? And the answer is, are you kidding me? I Excuse me, I'm running to the playground right now. All of your kids under the first grade, beginning first grade, they all run like Usain Bolt. It's insane. They, they, are, they are meticulous, beautiful mechanists. I mean, whether you're talking about, you know, pose running or, you know, you're a track athlete. I mean, like they run like champions. Halfway through the first grade, kids start heel striking. Heel striking doesn't exist until you expose children to, wait for it, sitting. And you disrupt that primary motor pattern. And kids who, you know, kids who run well, running's kind of a joy. Kids who, like, find it, you know, their technique is off. And the same thing is true for adults. We have, we have only, you know, and this is a good example. You know, I knew I should run intrinsically, but running caused me knee pain for years. I ran cross country in high school and my knee, you know, in middle school and, and my knee blew up when you blew up running and playing football in high school. And then, uh, I could do fight gone bad and I could clean, I could sprint and, blah, 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 and I do all these things. I was a national champion, but jogging 400 immediate knee pain. Right. So guess what? 
guess what the problem is? No tissue restriction. The problem is I was a crappy runner. Brian McKenzie came in. was like, hey, Cal, uh, you're the worst runner I've ever seen. Like, you can actually pull, like, a sprinter and heel strike at the same time, you know? And, like, he's like, it's insane. I've never seen, like, someone running with the inefficiency, efficiency that you run with. And, and he taught me to run. I learned a skill, immediately had no pain. And I went and ran an ultramarathon to prove it. And, and I think the problem is we're not putting skill, enough skill into that. And here's, here's a good example. In high school, you may have played a, a sport, right? And remember how many drills you did? If you were lucky, you got to scrimmage. But most of the time, it was what? Drill, 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 drill. drill, drill. drill. Think about running and apply that same rubric. Did you do drills, 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 drills? And then if you're lucky, you got to run 400. No, it's like, let's go run, kids. And um, I think that's the problem. I think running sucks because it doesn't feel good. And when you learn to run well, it's always sucky and hard. Mm-hmm. But it feels, it doesn't feel unbad. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that really is the, the piece. So, you know, in Ready to Run, one of the things we see is that people don't have full ankle range of motion. So how are you expecting to run and restore energy? And if your hips don't open up, yeah. you're going to overstride. And if you, I mean, if you don't have any, if you're overextended, I mean, every time you land, you're putting two to three times body weight through that limb. That's a shockwave that gets right up your spine. And every kink and tweak and missing range of motion, you're just dumping force and leaking power. And, and your body picks up on that. This doesn't feel good. And so you're, desire not to run is really a self-preservation. Yeah. I I might actually be the worst runner. Like I might, if, if your coach was watching me run, he might say, you know how you were the worst runner, Kelly? Well, Mike is actually the worst runner he's ever seen. One of the things you can do, and we, we really advocate for this. You know, I said, my wife and I try to be barefoot as much as possible. I'm barefoot right now. I've been cruising around the gym barefoot all day. And one of the things that, um, you know, it's because I'm a hippie in NorCal, but, uh, one of the things that we, (laughs) and if you could grow hair, you would have dreads. I I would have white dreads. And um, thanks, Marcus Brown. And um, the, the key here is that if you take your shoes off and go for a run, you will immediately self-correct. You will shorten your stride. You will not strike the ground. And it will feel, you're like, oh my gosh. Like you'll get some really feedback because it, it, the biomechanical input and insult is so strong that you will immediately start changing your behavior. I mean, you can heel strike for like 10 feet, but you will stop heel striking. And, you know, Every summer, my, my daughters go to a whitewater rafting camp. It's a guide school for junior guides, right? They learn, it's like junior lifeguards, but for the river. And my wife and I go up there and we try not to put shoes on for four days. And I don't know the last time you didn't wear shoes for four days, but a lot of things change. Like you, nothing punctures your feet. You shorten your stride. You don't even heel strike as much as you do with shoes. Like it's radical how how much better your feet feel and how much better the whole system feels. And it goes back to one of those things of like saying, you know, we've been inoculating our feet with these big, spongy, crazy motion control tech shoes. And, you know, back in 96, like the American Academy of Pediatrics said, hey, the best shoe for your kid is no shoe. And then if you have to put a shoe on, it has to be flat. And if you have to put on a shoe on, it better be flexible and breathable and flat. And like, show me the kid's shoes out in the world that meet that. And there's zero. Yeah. There's more now, but maybe some Chuckies. Yeah, right. But even Chucks, you know, like, well, that's a shoe predicate on 1950s technology. Like, we can actually do better. Right concept, though. Flat, right? So, you know, I think this, the same thing goes is that you can take this bigger view and, and you can get rid of and strip out a lot of the, the complexity. You know, people are like, how much turmeric do I need to take? At, you know, and wh- how am I going to, you know, get this super green smoothie. And we're like, did you eat six to eight fistfuls of vegetables today? Yes or no? You know, you're asking me about like, should you have a cheat day? But you didn't eat a vegetable the last two days. And, and one cup of broccoli does not count, you know? So, you know, first things first, take care of the big stuff. 
because that is the most important stuff. How will you measure your life? This is a question that I got from a book, a t- the title of a book called How Will You Measure oh, Your let Life? Let me stop you. It's so easy. Am I a good husband? Am I a good dad? Like, and then, then am I, did I have good friends? Did I, did I take care of my friends? Because we run everything through this one filter, and that is, does this decision get me closer to my family on the beach? Yes or no? And it's easy to lose that. It's easy to let your ego creep in. It's easy to let be, you know, have a bigger house and want to drive a nicer car and, and you just get sucked in, right? And it's exciting. And, and, you know, you get all this positive affirmation and, you know, someone liked your tweet and ding, your serotonin goes off in your head. And all of that is crap. It means not at all. You know, what really does, you know, we, it, can I drop my daughters off at school and pick them up? Man, those days are good days. You know, can we hang out by the pool and chill and travel? I mean, tomorrow we're taking off for a two-and-a-half-week road trip through the southwest. We're going to Moab. We're going to go run the Green River, get to the door. We're going to go to Durango camp. And, uh, I mean, literally, we feel it as a success that we can get out of our business, and we've set up systems so we can go be with our family. Like, that, that's it. Honestly, everything nice. else is crap. Yeah, that's beautiful. Beautiful answer. Uh, last couple of questions. And we'll be sure to link to your books and your, your website and everything in the show notes. Is there any other way that you, you like to be connected with in, uh, in, in the interwebs or, you know, having people come here to San Francisco CrossFit? Uh, you know, we're um, on our website is mobilitywod.com. And uh, we've done a couple of things that, that I'm really proud of in the last year. Um, we continue to do daily programming mobility programming. So we do a mobility of the day. That's a, we program for you a 10 or 15 minute you know, session. So you don't have to think, show up, do the work. And we've been doing that for years. And I think that is such a powerful guided experience. Um, we've been teaching a course for the last seven or eight years about our model of looking at human movement, seeing the inefficiencies and correcting it. And we've just moved that course online. Our intro course is now an online course. What we'd seen is that the world had become sophisticated enough. People were looking for a lot more information. So we basically doubled the amount of information we were delivering in our intro course. The online course now is about 11 hours of content, maybe 11 and a half hours of content. It's about 86 lectures, um, big 500 questions. It's really designed to create a, a basic understanding of what we're doing. What we saw is that people were, didn't have the time to travel you know, there's so many sort of demands on people. Do I go to this Olympic lifting course? And, you know, and hey, I really need these Olympic lifting shoes. And, you know, and so what we want to do is bring the mountain to Muhammad, as it were. Um, you know, we had a request. We had 800 requests in our queue to come teach. And there's no way we could get there. And so we, feel, we felt like we couldn't get to South America enough. We couldn't get to Europe enough. And uh, this online course, we're really proud of because I think it's going to really help people have a system to be able to then some context to understand their own strength and conditioning. The other thing we launched this last year is something called the MWOD list, which is where really we want to cut out the insurance model out of people's wellness and performance model for, for getting help. And what we've tried to do there is create almost like an Angie's list for providers. So you need a Cairo, you need a physio, you need a doctor, check out MWOD list See if you can find one. And then we can just, we can streamline the process. So you're not, you know, would you go get your hair cut by a random person? You know, it's like Russian roulette with your hair. No, but you're doing the same thing with your knee and your physio. That's crap. And for those people who have a provider, a chiro, an osteo, a physio, someone who really is good, get them on the list, blow them up, 
and, and so it's an easier way to tell your friends because what we figure out, we just have to, we have to create an alternative to the current model, which is, you know, I go see my doctor and I go see this random person. And I have to explain why I like to deadlift, you know, and the, the person doesn't have any context for how I, how I move or how I work. And so, it, you know, it, it's a poor use of resources. That's a game changer right there. I think I that, so. that's a I game hope changer. So. And, uh, you know, it's, it's free to anyone using it, but the idea is, you know, we want to populate that and it's all run by the community. You know, like you can write reviews and talk about it, you know, and uh, if we can create an Angie's list for, for physical therapists and chiros and physios, I mean, we're going we're gonna to change the world. Any last words of wisdom before we uh, say sayonara for the day? Yeah, get your phone out of your bedroom. Be a human being. Sleep in the dark. Like, what are you doing? Quit it. <laughs> Quit it. <laughs> Kelly Starrett, thank you so much for joining us today on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It's been a blast. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dr. Starrett, for being a guest on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. We will be sure to link to all the awesome resources you shared in our show notes page. Speaking of which, if you weren't able to take notes or you missed something, we've got you covered. Visit www.theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash 24 for all the key points and highlights of a conversation I had with Dr. Starrett at the San Francisco CrossFit. Do you want to have an impact in the lives of others? If the answer is yes, then you are listening to the right show. A few ways you can begin to have an impact are number one, share this episode with someone you care about or someone who you know needs inspiration. Number two, email me or hit me up on Facebook and Twitter to let me know what you think of the show and the takeaways you're receiving. And number three, head to iTunes and write a review. It takes about two minutes to do this and bumps us up in the charts, which exposes us to more people. Last and certainly not least, thank you, Cody and the Podcast Masters team for helping me produce a quality show. Until next time, go make an impact. Go make an impact.